Do you want to know what it is? The matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. shit it's kind of weird isn't it i wasn't a big believer i really wasn't and then i keep and then i saw the georgia video right and then that fucking freaked everyone out or just at least me or at least 50 percent um of the people so obviously uh, all the states are going through their challenges uh i'm just going to lead off and say that i don't think any of these challenges are going to work i think none of the state legislatures or none of the courts are going to overturn anything despite all the challenges um, the, but the damage is done to the electoral system as far as confidence in the elections uh, uh, from the perspective of, of certain people. That Georgia video is insane. Um, if you look at it, it, it shouldn't look right. So here's a, here's a nice little snippet from uh, news media or news media agency when the initial shenanigans went down uh, election night. We've also got some breaking news right now, so we want to check in with CBS's Mark Strassman. He is in Georgia, where they're having a big problem counting some of the votes. Mark? Nora, this is a, uh, an election return watch party uh, here on the edge of Atlanta. These are mostly excited Democrats because when's the last time Georgia thought of itself as a battleground state? After a record early returns and, a, and essentially a day of problem-free voting, there is now a hitch in the tabulation of votes. I'm standing in Fulton County. Fulton County includes a chunk of Atlanta. 
downtown Atlanta at State Farm Arena where the Atlanta Hawks play. They are tabulating the absentee ballots of Fulton County, Georgia's most populous county. A water pipe has broken inside the arena. They had counted 86,000 absentee ballots. We don't know how many more they have yet to tabulate, but all the tabulation of those ballots has now stopped. We're told by election officials they may not finish tabulating those votes for a day or two. So depending how close the rest of this state is, we may not know the result of this critical battleground state for another day or two. That is because, again, a water pipe has broken in State Farm Arena. State Farm Arena is where they were counted the absentee ballots of Georgia's most populous county. And now that tabulation has stopped. Big development here. But Mark, wow. do you know how many how many ballots we're talking about? What that means? We don't know. We, we, we've asked that question, Gail, and we haven't got an answer for that yet. We, we know that there are 86,000, but apparently it's a very labor-intensive process, and what they are telling us is that it's going to take a day or two, which suggests to me that they have a lot to go. So that was a report on election night on Fulton County um, at State Farm Arena or wherever that arena is in, inside of Atlanta. Mind you that it's state election law or state law in Georgia that observers have to be present and everything has to be going on and uh, has to be all nice and neat. What occurred on this video is appears, apparently obviously appears to be in contradiction or contravention to state law. And it's not what was told by the fact checkers on uh, Facebook and also contravenes what the state officials have said about the video after the fact. Uh, the governor, to his credit, has said, hey, uh, we want to look into this. But there's at least two um, state officials that have said, hey, nothing looks out of the ordinary. Nothing's like nothing's bad about the video. I encourage you to go watch the video at least. And then it just doesn't look right. It doesn't pass the smell test. Uh, here's the testimony from one of the witnesses at the state legislature hearing in Georgia. At about 8 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to roll this back and show it to you. There you go. So now they're going to start pulling these ballots out from under this table. This table, the black one, was placed there by the lady with the blonde braids at about 8.22 a.m. in the morning. So she put that table there. So the same person who's staying behind now, the same person who cleared the place out under the pretense that we're going to stop counting, is the person who put the table there at 8.22 in the morning. Yeah, I saw four suitcases come out from underneath the table. Yeah, upper right hand, you see the gentleman in the red. So he just pulled one out. So what are these ballots doing there, separate from all the other ballots? And why are they only counting them whenever the place is cleared out with no witnesses? Is the question. So these machines can process about 3,000 ballots an hour. You have multiple, multiple machines there, and they're there for two hours. So you do the math. How many ballots went through those machines in those two hours when there was no one there to supervise, to be present, consistent with your statutes and rules? to supervise the tabulation. We believe that could easily be, and probably is certainly, beyond the margin of victory in this race. So yeah, that's the most damning evidence coming out of Georgia. But like I said, I don't think any, I don't think anybody's gonna overturn anything. Um, so it looks very suspicious. So obviously investigations should be done or don't do whatever to find out what the fuck going to the bottom of it. And like I said, uh, for the counter art of the, our counter portion of the story, two Republican, uh, 
election officials say, hey, everything's copacetic. This is all normal um, business. It looks all kind of fishy. Um, Nevada looks like it's clear in its uh, roles, even though uh, a reporter uh, basically got seven of eight uh, signatures forged. Not, I mean, what he did is that he called uh, he called up eight he called up many people. Eight people said that they would uh, participate. He had them uh, sign their own voter registration forms, but signed them incorrectly or obviously to where they it didn't appear to be their uh, signature. Seven or eight of those, seven of eight of those signatures got through the signature check in Nevada. Uh, doesn't matter. Uh, Nevada has certified or is going to certify its elections, and any challenges out there have been taken down. Um, also in Nevada, uh, there were, I think, in all of the main county in Las Vegas, uh, in the 2016 election, there were about 60 uh, issues with ballots, with addresses, you know, incorrect name filled out, uh, incorrect area, you know, some sort of uh, problem with the ballot, 60 uh, in this one certain county. This year, 1,300 or 13,000, uh, up from 60 from four years ago. Fun stuff. Uh, Arizona looks like it's moving right along. Wisconsin dropped a challenge or uh, basically told the the a legal team to go back to the district court. They weren't going to go to the Wisconsin Supreme Court and like circumvent the state circuit or the state district court. Um, Michigan's kind of moving right along. Wisconsin, PA. Uh, the funny thing about PA is that they basically acknowledge that the electoral commission's change of the mail-in voting regulation was unconstitutional, but they had challenged it too late. Um, I do recall, it may not be the same thing, that they challenged like six months ago, but the Supreme Court forfeited it, or they had challenged it like three months ago, and the Supreme Court forfeited it, but they said they were just disenfranchised, which I kind of get. It was kind of late. They should have challenged it almost immediately. Um, the second that the uh, Election Commission and PA changed the law, it should have been knocked out, but then they did a 4-3 uh, Democratic acknowledgments, like, hey, it's good to go, and then Supreme Court forfeited it and didn't step in. So they attempted to re-challenge it, uh, and then it was, you know, said, nope, no thanks. Even though basically everybody agrees on the face of the election change that it was unconstitutional to the Pennsylvania state court, or, or sorry, state election law. But that's not going to pass uh, muster as well. Georgia, like I, we've covered earlier, has some damning evidence. That's not going to pass muster as well. And I got some statistics, folks, and then we'll, we'll lay this one to bed. And I know that I'm speaking on deaf ears. And I know I'm speaking to only like one of two people that would care about this because you don't care about statistics when it comes to COVID. You're going to go in your hidey hole when fucking 0.8 people die of the flu, but 0.9 people die of pneumonia. Uh, you don't care about statistics because you want to defund the police because all the police are racist, even though um, of the in 2019, of the 10 individuals that were unarmed and shot, by the police. Five of them were actively pursuing to kill the officer or do some damage to the officer. And of those five that they were not, uh, two were considered justified. The other two, I believe they were given, brought charges and arrested and put in jail. The police officers were. And then the last one was Breonna Taylor. And that was acquitted uh, in either South Carolina or Georgia, whichever one it was. Um, but yeah, the police are racist. Let's defund them. Uh, more statistics on that later. Uh, but the, the first one I want to cover that we're going to stick to before we run away is the uh, 20 facts about the election. Some of these I've already covered, but I'll just knock these out. 
right quickly. Uh, Biden allegedly got 80 million votes, which is more than Obama received at his peak. These are just interesting facts about the election in 2008. And Biden did this by losing a minority voters at Donald Trump and trailing Trump and voter enthusiasm. He basically was down in every category with the exception of white voters. I think he was up 2%. Uh, Biden broke 60 years of precedent by winning nationally despite losing prestigiously in bellwether states and counties. The last time this happened was when the mafia got out the vote for John Kennedy in 1960. And that's why I like this uh, news provider. Uh, Trump had extraordinarily coattails, so much so that even the New York Times admitted that uh, Democrats suffered crushing down ballot losses across America. Uh, and then Biden won despite that. Uh, so down balloting. Biden barely made it through the primaries. Uh we already talked about the primary vote uh, where Trump had about 94% of it and no incumbent had lost with having 75% of the vote uh, uh, on primaries. Trump exceeded original vote count by the largest margin for any incumbent, uh, about 10 million more votes than he had gotten. In contrast, Obama had 3.5 million less in 2016, or sorry, 2012, and beat Romney. Um, Trump's support among blacks grew by 50%. While Biden's fell below the important 90% mark, the Democrats candidates needed every single time before this to secure victory. Uh, in the Rust Belt, Biden lost support everywhere except in Detroit, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee for blacks. Uh, in those cities, every single black person apparently voted for Biden. So 100%. Nice. Way to go. Uh, pollsters can do and manipulate polling outcomes, non-polling metrics, historic norms such as economic enthusiasm, etc. have never been wrong, except this year was the only exception. Uh, the fact that Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia simultaneously pretended to halt ballot counting while continuing to count is evidence of election fraud and collusion. Uh, optical scanners were set to accept unverified and validated ballots. Okay, uh, I'd like to see more on that one. Uh, scanners were almost certainly programmed to fail to keep audit records. Okay, I'd like to see that one. Uh, and if that's part of investigation, that would be uh, things that would should invalidate the election. Uh, in certain states, uh, in contested states, and I'll harp on more of that later. Uh, in the contested states, the voting machines were alleged to have processed hundreds of thousands of ballots within a short time, which is physically impossible. Uh, in Pennsylvania, statistically impossible numbers of late arriving mail-in votes went to Biden. Uh, Dominion and ESS voting machines have created to have backdoors and specific functions to manipulate votes either at the machine or the internet. You've seen these videos on YouTube, uh, or you may or not, but they, they're there, they exist. Uh, and incidentally enough, it's the major mainstream networks that were covering this when they thought Trump was going to steal the election. Uh, Fox News' behavior on election night, refusing to call pro-Trump outcomes while prematurely calling Arizona for Biden, was so abnormal that Vegas oddmakers instantly assumed that the fix was in. Uh, the allegedly late-arriving mailed ballots increased Biden's equally alleged lead with statistically impossible perfection and stability. Um, and so what they're talking about with that is... And I did appreciate, I didn't like the, uh, like statistically masturbatory statement of, Hey, you had six votes last time and I had five. I had 10 this time. You had seven. That means that it was like 80, 20 Democrat passed the point of what we voted last time. That's like a self-licking ice cream cone. What did make a lot of sense was when they were talking about the late arriving ballots, the late arriving ballots were, um, basically in mass, 80, 20, 90, 10, 95%. Uh, Biden and in Georgia, 53 batches came back, um, and they were all after Biden had taken the lead. All 53 voting batches, um, or yeah, I think it was all 53, um, were 50.5 to 49.5 percent for Biden, like which is astronomically impossible, if not impossible, to do. 
but that existed. Uh, anomalies in Virginia that suggested that computers were subtracting votes from Trump and sometimes giving them to Biden. Ah, another one was the uh, third party vote. When the batches were coming in, uh, Trump, Biden had to, you can't have Biden 99% because that was obvious uh, fraud. But you, if you get Biden at 90 or 95%, um, you got to take votes away from Trump somehow. So where do you put those votes? You give them to the third party candidate. In the mail-in dumps that occurred in the multi, many of these states, uh, mail-in or the third party candidate did better like of a 30 times ratio than they did in the normal vote. So all the votes accounted for. And then all of a sudden these mail-in votes come in and the write-in candidate slash third-party candidate were doing about 30 times better ratio in the in the final data dumps. Uh, one analysis shows that voting machines in Michigan systemically removed votes from Trump and handed them to Biden. Uh, there was a rebuttal which uh, purported to debunk this, but did so by using the scale on the x-axis. x-axis. Oh, sorry, by using a different scale on the x-axis. I don't know what that means. Uh, over... 100,000 Pennsylvania absentee ballots were returned either a day after they were mailed out or the day they were mailed out or on the day before they were mailed out. Uh, and then, and all, well, that means that they were not, basically that's obvious saying that they weren't put in the mailing system, given to the voters, and then brought back through the mailing system. They were sent out and basically came back way too early. Uh, in all the contested areas at the Dominion website, Democrats have been systemically failing to create or have destroyed all data that could be used to demonstrate fraud creates the legal presumption that the data do in fact show fraud, which would, which would be good. Another one is that no statistical anomaly went in favor of Trump. Every single statistic, st- statistical issue went in favor of Biden, with the exception of like one county gave Trump uh, like 100 votes. Everything else that I've read, seen, or whatever, and this is in the 80 to 100 incidents or events, all went in favor of Biden. And here's some more, so I guess we'll just make it 35 interesting facts about the election. Uh, Late on election night with Trump comfortably ahead, many swing states stopped counting ballots. In most cases, observers were removed from counting facilities. Counting generally continued without the observers. This, uh, This is readily obvious and apparent. And there's total evidence of this in the Georgia video and the statements and the stuff that I've just previously covered. Um, Statistically, abnormal vote counts were new normal when counting resumed. They were unusually large in size of hundreds of thousands and had an unusually high uh, Biden to Trump ratio, 90 to 10 percent. Late arriving ballots were counted in Pennsylvania. 2,300 absentee ballots have been possible post return dates and another 86,600 or sorry, 86,000 have extraordinary return dates that raise serious questions. That's what the previous one was talking about, about the out and in uh, process. The failure to match signatures on mail-in ballots, the destruction of million ballots envelopes, which must contain signatures. Now, the counter to that is that you don't want to identify the uh, the mail-in. Like when you when you do your little mail-in sleeve, they don't want to identify you as a voting with a certain person. So apparently that's why they destroy the outer sleeve that's signature matching. So basically, once you do the signature matching, and this is why they need to reduce uh, the amount of mail-in voting, because basically when you pull it out and you match the signatures, that's it. You discard of the signature match portion, and then you either validate or verify without even seeing the vote yet. You validate or verify the match, and then you pull the ballot out, and you're done. And so you separate the signatures from the ballot, and that's the only time you can verify signatures. Um, That's how I understand that. So that's not really abnormal. That's just kind of the way it is when that happens. Um, 
Historically low absentee ballot rejection rates, despite the massive expansion of mail voting, mail-in voting, such as Biden's narrow margin, that is political analyst Robert Barnes observes, if the state simply observed or imposed the same absentee ballot rejection rate as the recent cycles, then Trump wins the election. Um, the reduction or the ballot rates were like 1% or 0.1% when they're typically at the 3% range of rejection. Missing votes in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, 50,000 votes that held on 47 USB cards are missing. Uh, Non-resident voters, Mr. Baynard's or Matt Baynard's Voter Integrity Project estimates that 20,212 people who no longer met residency requirements cast ballots in Georgia. Biden's margin is 12,670. Uh, serious chain of custody breakdowns and validate residential addresses, record numbers of dead people voting, ballots in pristine condition without creases. Uh, these are all affidavit uh affidavit statements, and then they had not been mailed in envelopes as required by law. Uh, statistical anomalies in Georgia, Biden overtook Trump with 89% of the votes counted for. The next 53 batches of votes counted, this is what I talked about earlier, Biden led Trump by the same exact 50.5 to 49.95, okay, smaller amount, percentage in every single batch. It's particularly perplexing that all statistical anomalies, anomalies and tabulation abnormalities were in Biden's favor. Whether the cause was simply human error or nefarious activity or a combination, clearly something peculiar has happened. some more interesting uh, statistics. Well, you can't question the narrative. Um, John Hopkins publishes, then deletes article questioning the U.S. coronavirus death rate. Interesting article. I got into a uh, debate or conversation with somebody that made the statement that uh, the U.S. has the highest uh, coronavirus death rate uh, per capita, or sorry, highest COVID mortality rate and then they have their testing per capita was down. And I pointed out the obvious uh, incongruity of that statement because basically you're dividing by per capita in one statement, but then you're going by nominal. You're making a nominal statement with the mortality, but you're making a basically divisible per capita statement. And I just asked them to look up the per capita deaths in the U.S. and just told them that, hey, look, the U.S. is not an outlier uh, per capita. Nominally, we are the outlier because we've tested the most, 9 million plus and the most have died, over 300,000 and 350,000, according to the CDC's combinatory numbers, or through 275,000 based on media reports. And the media is coming out, and I, I don't watch the mainstream BS, but they do play them at work, and so my eyes catch that they're basically predicting. Remember when they predicted 2.2 million deaths back in... Um, uh, what was it, February or March, they were projecting that 2.2 million people would die by fucking, what, three days from then. Uh, now they're projecting that the cases or deaths will double in April. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think after Biden gets inaugurated or, or elected, a lot of this stuff's going to go away, or the numbers are going to go down, or Biden, you know, Biden's going to save the day, according to everything that's going on. So, and maybe not. I mean, I mean maybe they're, they're just... Uh, invested in keeping people afraid and in their homes and all this other shit. And then uh, I also pointed out the uh, hypocrisy of, you know, just wear a mask to save somebody. And then why are you being such a dick? Because you don't want to wear a mask. It's like, well, 
then why don't you take vitamin D or why don't you go running three to six times a week or why don't you hit the gym or why don't you diet or why don't you do this, that, and the other. All these things you can do to help your neighbor, all these things you can do to reduce the, uh, the lethality of coronavirus. And all these things can be done through government intervention or coercion, but that's just not who we are. So uh, we shouldn't accept the government's uh, mandate. Uh, the government can recommend things all day, but we should not accept the government mandate to put on masks, take vitamin D, or do anything. You should be able to live your life the way you want to. At least that's the ethos and the uh, American way of life that I grew up accustomed to, not all this bigoty-back bullshit that's going on with the mask wearing. Uh, but back to John Hopkins uh, publishing and deleting an article questioning the uh, U.S. COVID rate. And I touched on this last week, but this kind of puts it together nice and neat. And it's nice to see that John Hopkins uh, supported that before the you know mainstream media and uh, what is it? Peer pressure made them take it down. Uh, the university stands by a study that said the article is leading uh, to the spread of misinformation, quote unquote. Uh, last week, John Hopkins University published a deleted article explaining a study examining the effects of the novel coronavirus in the United States death totals using data from the CDC and prevention. Geneva Brand, the assistant program director of the Allied Economics Master's Degree Program at John Hopkins, determined in the study that there have been 1.7 million deaths in the U.S. between March 2020 and September 2020, 12% or roughly 200,000 of those which have been coronavirus-related. Brand posits the only way to understand the significance of the U.S. coronavirus death rate is by comparing it to the number of total deaths in the country. Okay. Uh, according to Brand, who compared the total deaths per age category from both before and after the onset of the global pandemic, the death rate of older people stayed the same before and after coronavirus. Hmm, interesting. Kind of like what I was saying last time. Uh, the reason we have higher numbers of reported COVID-19 deaths among older individuals than younger individuals is simply because every day in the U.S., older individuals die in higher numbers than younger individuals, wrote Brand. Makes sense. Uh, she noted that between 50,000 and 70,000 deaths are seen as both before and after the emergence of the virus, meaning that, according to her analysis, coronavirus has had no effect on the percentage of total deaths of older people, nor has it increased the total number of deaths in the category. It almost seems like it's murder porn in the mainstream media, and it almost seems like hospitals are incentivized to report deaths because they receive more money when they do that. Uh, these results contradict the way most people see the impact of coronavirus pandemic, which disproportionately affects the elderly population. Brand believes after re re reviewing the numbers that coronavirus deaths being over-exaggerated, after seeing that in 2020 coronavirus deaths that are related exceeded deaths from heart disease, the leading cause of death in the U.S. for many years prior. Brand began to suspect the coronavirus death toll figure may be misleading. Brand found that the total decrease in deaths by older or other causes almost exactly equals the increase of deaths by COVID-19, according to the original JHU newsletter. If COVID-19 death toll was not misleading at all, then we should have observed an increased number of heart attacks and increased COVID-19 numbers, but a decreased number of heart attacks and all other death causes doesn't give us a choice but to point to some misclassification. Uh, so they're misclassifying deaths. Uh, if COVID-19 death toll was not misleading at all, what we should have observed is an increased number of heart attacks and an increased and increased COVID-19 numbers, but a decreased number of heart attacks and all other death causes doesn't give us a choice but to point, some, point to some misclassification. All of this points to no evidence that COVID-19 created any excess deaths. Total death numbers are not above normal death numbers. We found no evidence to the contrary, she continued. 
Several days after removing the article, John Hopkins University tweeted that the article, a closer look at U.S. deaths to COVID, was deleted because the article was being used to support false and dangerous inaccuracies about the impact of the pandemic, which, I mean, you could, it's a, it's not a fair statement, but it is a fair statement at the same time. You don't want to downplay the uh, importance of it, but also the extreme overreach of government and everybody into your personal life has got to fucking stop. And this is not the Black Plague, and it has not been the Black Plague for quite some time, and I don't think it ever will be the Black Plague. Um, and this isn't—I mean, you go back to any of the podcasts I've been doing in March, I've been saying the same shit. Uh, the death rate is anywhere from 3% to 0.6%, which is less than flu or three times deadlier than the flu uh, per annual rate. And the only way we're going to really going to truly tell is by uh, looking at the total death numbers and what this John Hopkins— university report or article was saying is that there is no difference or there has not been a drastic difference in the overall total deaths uh, when COVID started and when it was just a normal year. Um, we regret this article may have contributed to the spread of the misinformation about COVID-19. So this is still a thing. Um, and use the English words. If you are one of those people that posted the meme where it's like defund the police and then no, it act, no defund the police actually means this. And then the dummy at the bottom right is like, oh, yeah, huh. I guess we should defund the police. Huh. Uh, no, defund means to take away or remove completely um, all the monetary whatever. Reform the police. I'm down with that statement. But defund the police, you can go kick rocks. Um, so let's use the English words that we all agreed upon. Um, in the City Council of Seattle voted last week to slash about $69 million of funding for officer training salaries and overtime get rid of vacant positions in the police department as well as transfer parking officers, mental health workers, and 911 dispatchers out of the department. The goal is to ultimately reinvest alternatives to police situations with, uh, such as mental health crises. Meanwhile, Seattle had seen 55 murders this year as of Monday, the highest level since at least 2008, the last year data was available. The troubled city is also suffering a spike in violent crime with 8,418 burglary incidents, up from 7,634 last year, according to police. Now, I don't know if that's at the same time or it's 8,400 versus 7,600, and it's 7,600 for the year and 8,400 for 11 months. Uh, New Orleans Police Chief Sean Ferguson says he deals with rising homicide and carjacking rates. The city's furlough policy is causing him to lose officers. The New Orleans Police Department is being forced to take an 11 million budget cut uh, next year. Uh, he told the city council that most of these, or those who left last week, blamed city-imposed furloughs that cause officers to lose two days of pay each month. The furloughs come as the city deals with 60% rise in homicides and more than 100% jump in carjackings. Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Frey and Police Chief Madeira Arondo on Monday rebuffed a proposal by three city council members to cut the Minneapolis police budget by nearly $8 million, with Frey calling the plan irresponsible and untenable amid a year of rising violence, crime, and shrinking police force. Within one hour period Saturday morning, police responded to three separate carjackings in southeast Minneapolis, including one where an elderly woman was struck in the head. Uh, the often brazen daytime attacks were up 350, or sorry, 537% that month uh, when compared to last November, and police spokes, or said police spokesman John Elder. Um, in Los Angeles, the police budget was slashed by $150 million this year. Um, killings are up 25% over the last year, and shootings are up more than 32%, mirroring increases in violence that are driving concerns in big cities across the nation. 
Last week, a pregnant woman was gunned down. Children and elderly, elderly residents have been killed. All of the year's victims, nearly 20% have been homeless. Gangs are suspected in many cases. New Jersey's based, uh, New Jersey-based rapper Triple Beans, that's a good name, uh, mine is SH1T, by the way, uh, was walking his SUV in Newark on Friday when he was confronted by two masked gunmen and shot dead execution style in broad daylight. Uh, cold-blooded killing of a 29-year-old recording artist uh, born Corey Thompson was caught on surveillance video, which showed his attackers fire multiple shots at the victim while he rolled on the ground. Why didn't his death get money or any attention in the media? It's because people like this are being gunned down all over the country on a consistent basis. It's become so common that incidents are not newsworthy. Those who have read this book already, or sorry, blah, 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 uh, that's kind of it. And society is starting to spiral out of control. A strong police presence is more, yeah, than ever before. They kind of make the, the very last points. But if you take, so that's why the Second Amendment is so important, because if you're going to defund the police, you're going to bring that to your doorstep uh, in urban and rural areas. So you are going to have to police yourselves, and we're going to go back to the wild, wild west when it comes to uh, this kind of shit. And people are going to get what they deserve. They truly are. Very sad. Uh, yeah, and then I guess I'll just run over to some other bullshit that happened. Um, in the Supreme Court, uh, they knocked down a rule that Cuomo uh, was basically using to ostracize Jewish populations or whatever. Good on them. Uh, the Supreme Court kind of uh, rolled in it there. They're actually going to hear a weird-ass voting case, too, uh, aptly, that in the Tenth Circuit or in Kansas, it's actually— um, the Tenth Circuit ruled that it was too burdensome for you to prove that you're a citizen of the United States to vote in federal elections. The Tenth Circuit actually pretty much ruled that. Uh, so that would be an interesting case uh, when, to come up and do that. Uh, you, I'm going to go through October and November court cases, not the not the November 30 and on, but the weeks prior to that. Um, a couple interesting ones, a bunch of technical BS ones. Um, but other than that, wasn't that bad. Uh, it's really interesting to run through those court cases, and uh, I'm getting better and better. I understand more and more uh, when I'm uh, doing that. So, um, yeah, after the little interlude, enjoy. So going through the Supreme Court, Oral arguments and a couple of uh, decisions outside of that uh, from October the 5th through November the 10th. You're going to get such fantastic legal opinions as don't mess with Texas <laughs> one of these uh, cases. But um, yeah, I thought there were two really interesting um, court cases. One that's probably going to have profound uh, effect if decided incorrectly uh, for uh uh, computers and writing and software and patent and all that other fun stuff. Uh, I don't think that's one of the two interesting cases, but definitely, definitely not bad. It was, it was good to go come back and listen to them. I mean, I wasn't too, uh, wasn't too enthralled with the new uh, uh, online where they gave everybody two minutes, but it is that's the case, right? Um, and the governor wants to appoint a Democrat, vice Republican, or vice versa. Um, that they have a right to do that. If that's how the law has been for 200 years, and that's what they do, um, yeah, that, that's kind of what has been going on anyways, right? It's not really a, you can't really force somebody to fake consider or uh, do that. 
the issue of the case was, does the First Amendment invalidate a longstanding state constitutional provision that limits judges affiliated with any one political party to no more than a bare majority of the state's three highest courts? So, okay. So yeah, I would say no. So if, if it's like 4-4 or 5-4 uh, Democrat, the, the governor, even if he's a Democratic governor, can't appoint a 6-3 Democratic majority in Delaware. So, yeah, I, I agree. And I don't think it infringes upon First Amendment uh, issues. Uh, the next one was Texas versus New Mexico. This is the one where I basically said, uh, don't mess with Texas. Um, the question that Ballotopedia has here, I'm usually on SCOTUS or SCOTUS blog looking at these things, but it says if the re Rivermaster retroactively did it, if he did it retroactive, yeah, he can kiss my ass. Um, but basically the, like, did he, did he follow the rules? I don't know. So don't mess with Texas. Uh, Rutledge versus pharmaceutical care management association. This case, if the uh, thing will load, was about, uh, -ba -ba. well, the issue is whether the eighth circuit erred in holding the Arkansas statute regulating pharmacy benefit managers, drug reimbursement rates, which is similar to laws enacted by a substantial majority of states is preempted by the ERSA, em uh, Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974. Um, so basically they were saying, can Arkansas basically establish rates? I would say yes, that they could. It's dumb. Like that they don't answer the bigger question of should you do pharmaceutical, like should you, should Medicare, Medicaid set price or do price controls on prescriptions? I, I obviously disagree with that. Um, but could the state do it as part of a thing? Like it seems like they were, they were doing it. Um, let's, let's dive a little bit more into this one. Uh, in 2015, Arkansas General Assembly passed a state law including mandates for pharmacy reimbursement for drug costs, new requirements for pharmacy benefits, managers' updates to maximum allowable cost list, and administrative appeal procedures. The Pharmaceutical Care Management Association brought action on behalf of pharmacy benefits manager members, claiming the law was preempted by the ERSA, uh, which is the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, and Medicare Part D. And was on its constitutional. The district court held that the law was preempted, uh, preempted by URSA, was not preempted by Medicare Part D, and was not unconstitutional. On appeals, Eighth Circuit affirmed and reversed part of it, uh, remanded the case for entry judgment, blah, 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 blah. So um, basically, the only reason why this case is interesting and whether or not they rule left or right, I think Arkansas has the right to do that, is should there be price controls on pharmacy, pharmacy drugs? No. There should not. Um, and if you if you believe that there should be, you don't understand why there should not be. Obviously, you don't understand why there should not be price controls on pharmaceutical drugs. The second you set a price ceiling or a maximum, that's how they're, they're going to pass the cost off or they're just not going to perform. Um, Trump was doing this. He passed an executive order with, uh, uh, like he's like limiting the costs of pharmacy drugs where if you take the drug and you sell it overseas, and you sell it in the United States, if the price is a dollar in, you know, Timbuktu, and it's $10 in America, then they're going to have to sell it for a dollar in the States, right? And you're like, oh, that's amazing. Well, that's a great executive order. Why, would Trump, why wouldn't Trump do that? The price is the price for a reason, right? Um, the, the, probably one of the reasons why pharmaceutical drugs is so high is because government's involved in the process to begin with. Um, if you got government out, drug prices would go down uh, basically just... You know, because because there isn't so much free money or easy money 
in the system, much like college tuition. If you got rid of the FAFSA um, uh, Pell Grants uh, or, you know, reduced them significantly by 90%, that's what costs would go down for the universities. A lot of universities would fail, but yeah. Uh, the next one is FNU Tanzan versus Tanvir. I believe this was a immigration case. There were two of them uh, in one or one in October and November, and, or two of them in October and November. Uh, this case, the old issue, is whether the provision in RIFRA allowing litigants to obtain appropriate relief against the government authorizes the award of money damages against federal employees sued in their individual capacities. No. So I don't think that you should have the, this is an immigration case, I don't think you should have the ability to sue an individual as part of the government. If a government employee is performing functions as part of the government, you can sue the agency, right? So this would go with, it's like a qualified immunity case. So if you are, um, if you're a police officer working for a local municipality and you're working, while you're working um, as a, uh, uh, while you're in uniform, working under the, like, let's say it's 11 o'clock, you're working, everything's great, and you do something really bad, like you use excessive force, whatever the case is, should the person be able to sue you and the government? Or should the person just sue the government, or should the person sue you, right? I think the government's liable, or the local municipality is liable in that case, because they should be training you, caring you, and feeding, and ensuring that you're doing the proper thing. Now, if you go beat somebody up, can you be hold liable, like go to jail, and the government sue you? Sure, but I don't think the, uh, or the government holds you accountable. Um, and criminally accountable, all of the fun stuff. But I don't think you should be sued by the individual, right? The individual should sue the locality, the government, or the or the agency. So I think there were two cases like that, and that's how I, I thought the process should work out. Uh, number three. Ah, this was the big one. Google LLC versus Oracle America Incorporated. The argument here was essentially a patent case. So I believe either Google or Oracle used a code um, that is basically standard throughout coding. So the, the problem was is whether copyright protection extends to software interface and whether, as the jury found, petitioner's use of software interface in the context of creating a new computer system constitutes fair use. I would say yes. Um, the most appreciative uh, segue or, uh, you know, kind of like association was that if you had a particular way that you stock grocery stores, does that mean if HEB stock grocery stores this way, does that mean that Walmart can't do the same thing? Um, and it would, uh, this is like the parade of horribles. So if, if Google or Oracle did a certain thing a certain way, or if this was ruled in a certain way, then every single like Yahoo or Bing or whoever would have to find their own way to code. And if they used a particular, it's like patenting the English language essentially, because they have a command structure, command code that almost everybody uses. Um, and you'd have to, everybody have to create their own thing. Um, so it's like patenting the word cup, essentially. Uh, Ford Motor Company versus Montana 8th Judicial District. Uh, so this one was a jurisdictional case. Um, it was essentially, can you sue Ford outside of Montana? And I would say that you could based on certain things like a decision tree. Um, they brought up the case, uh, like if you were in Alaska and Ford didn't sell that type of vehicle there, but you, let's say you bought, you bought the Ford in Washington, you drove it up to Alaska, you had an accident, could you sue Mon 
Montana or whatever? Or could you shoot Sioux Ford in Alaska? I would say no, because you basically transported something that was not sold in that state. But if it is sold in that state, um, could you sue that? I would say yes. And then if there's a parts manufacturer, who would you who would you sue? Would you sue the alternator producer, or would you sue the airbag producer, or would you sue Ford? I would say that you would sue Ford in that case. So even if the airbag is defaulty, Ford made the product. Um, Ford signed the contract with the airbag people. The airbag people fucked it up. Ford still put it in their car, so they would be held liable. So if it's sold there and it's built in all the components and the parts are put together by a certain company and the company sells it there, you can sue the company. If the company doesn't sell it there, then you have to go to their jurisdiction and do it. And then the other one was, does a state have a compelling interest to uh, protect their citizens? Of course they do. But And then they were trying to weasel the, their way into, all right, so if Alaska has a compelling interest to protect its citizens, then they should be able to sue Ford in Alaska if a car breaks down in Alaska. Um, well, I mean, that makes sense too, but um, if the car was not designed to be in Alaska, you're basically voiding the warranty, so do you have a compelling interest to sue a voided warranty type thing? No, so it's kind of a snail, uh, a snake eating its own tail type thing, but that's that's how I parse this case out. Um, yeah, uh, United States versus Briggs and its cases. I uh, think the, really, the next one is really interesting, but... Not not to uh, undermine this one, but this one is this one's good too, um, and this is why the Supreme Court shit's always always fun. Uh, the issue is whether the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces erred in concluding, contrary to its own longstanding precedent, that the Uniform Code of Military Justice allows prosecution of a rape that occurred between 1986 and 2006 only if it was discovered and charged uh, within five years. I would say no, um, and they were trying to drag this argument out uh, even further. So the UCMJ is basically a special document, um, but then the, the obvious question was asked, which document takes precedence, the Constitution or the UCMJ? And obviously the Constitution does. So uh, cruel and unusual, is it cruel and unusual punishment um, to prosecute somebody for rape after the statute of limitations based on the document that's in, uh, uh, in tow? And because they had passed civilian laws, that would say that it was cruel and unusual punishment. So should that be applied to the UCMJ? That's the wraparound type thing that they did. And I basically uh, thought that you should, you should separate the UCMJ from civilian law because it, it's, it's its own document. Congress writes the UCMJ. That's something I learned during this process. Interesting. Um, Congress writes it, uh, amends it, does everything about it. Um, and it's basically a special doctrine that you need, even... Even if you thought death was cruel and unusual punishment, which it's not, according to the uh, Eighth Amendment, even if you thought that uh, officers and uh, military tribunals and everything still need to have different applications of law during wartime or just in general to the military to keep good order and discipline. So that's, uh, I agreed with that argument. So I don't think the UCMJ erred or the courts erred in prosecuting a rape uh, after the statute of limitations based on civil procedure and law as defined as cruel and unusual punishment based on the UCM, like based on civil law by CUCMJ. I think they should be held separate, and uh, they were trying to uh, bleed that in there. Um, City of Chicago, Illinois versus Fulton. Come on with it. Do, 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 do. Come on with it. Is this, this is not the one. This is the one where... Uh, uh, an entity that is passively retaining possession of property in which bankruptcy estate has an interest 
has an affirmative obligation under the bankruptcy code, automatic stay, blah, 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 to return that property to the debtor or trustee immediately upon the filing of the bankruptcy petition? No. Um, the the only catch 22 is let's say that you let's say that you your car got impounded it's in the city lot you file for bankruptcy the city can't continue to charge you for a holding fee right it should stay as, like basically it freezes as it is so if the the judge has a freeze your car stays where it's at but you wouldn't have to pay the penalties so if you had a thousand dollars racked up and then by the time the the argument was over it's four thousand dollars you would still only owe a thousand or whatever the bankruptcy court decided that said you would do would be knocked down to whatever the amount was based on the bankruptcy. They were trying to, they're trying to say, you know, boo-hoo, woe is me, like they can't get around and do the car. What obligation does the uh, bank have or the, essentially the bank, because the bank sells the loan to the, or the, the dealership buys or gets a loan or gets the money immediately from the bank. So what obligation does the bank have to keep property in the hands of the debtor if the debtor's not paying the debt, right? Zero, zero obligation. And the, the woe is me fucking bullshit doesn't matter. Like, wham, nobody cares. Uh, uh, Torres versus Madrid. This might be an immigration case. Don't know, don't know. Uh, whether an unsuccessful attempt to detain a suspect by use of physical force or seizure, yeah, fuck off, uh, within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment as the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth, Ninth, and Eleventh Circuits and New Mexico Supreme Court held, whether physical force must be uh, successful in detaining a suspect to constitute a seizure uh, as the U.S. Court of Appeals. So basically they were, the argument was in the Supreme Court of the United States is if um, the case was fucked up. The case was that... Um, two officers ran up on a lady. They thought the lady, they misidentified her. They ran up and said, hey, you know, fucking get out of your car, blah, blah, blah. They pulled guns on her. She th claimed it was a carjacking or she perceived it to be a carjacking, drove off, and the two the two armed officers shot at her. Um, all right, that sucks. <laughs> so she got hit by one of the bullets, and then she claimed that that was a seizure under the, con under the context of the Fourth Amendment. Now, if you go into the you know Webster's dictionary and and find seizure the the main word you're missing is capture right so you have to capture and hold something before you can seize it um, just because you grab at something that's like an assault so she could charge fine of an assault but no that's not a not a fourth amendment seizure um, on that one all right last case for October and then we'll take a little excuse me radio break uh, Perelia Perita versus Barr all right not too bad Hey, 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 calm it down there, buddy. That's enough out of you. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. I wish I was more professional. Um, Parita versus Barr, whether a criminal conviction bars non-citizen from applying for relief when removal when the record of conviction is merely ambiguous? Yeah, uh, yes it does. So it's a moral turpitude offense. So essentially it says, if the state produces a record saying that you were convicted of, you know, crime X, and that falls on the moral turpitude stance, does the government then have to go in to prove exactly or specifically what you were accused of, right? So does it fall under moral turpitude or not? Do they have to go into the weeds of the case? No. They just, if you were convicted in a, a circuit court or district court or local county court of this offense and it's deemed a moral, tur moral turpitude offense, or if you were convicted multiple occasions, right? You just, you just can't drive the speed limit or you just can't stop parking cars in legal places, and that's enough to say that the government, you know, has a law that says, hey, 
if you get five parking tickets and you're not here legally or you're a green card holder, you need to go home. The government doesn't have to go and specifically say on August 1st, 2019, you parked in, you know, Fifth and Circuit Court Street and, you know, Officer Johnson, do, no, they don't have to do, go that thing. They just have, if they have records that say you were convicted in state court or you were convicted in a local court of this offense, then if that offense falls under moral turpitude or a consecutive row of offenses does that, then you're gone. So, all right, that's October. We'll dive into November after these messages. We'll be right back. October was pretty interesting. Had some good cases, some good uh, things to talk about or think about. And like I said, that's why I like listening to these oral arguments. And I think if you're not into the Supreme Court or whatever, it's kind of boring. Uh, if you think it is, I mean, get into it anyways, because it, it invariably poses questions. Like I said, 60, 70% of them are technical garbo babble that are way above my pay grade when it comes to thoughts, but uh, most of it's not. Uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services versus the Sierra Club. Whether the Exemption 5 of the Freedom or FOIA protects draft documents from compelled disclosure if the documents were created during the formal interagency consultation process. So, no, Exemption 5 would not do that. Uh, under Section 7 of the Endangered Species Act and later modified in the cons uh, consultation process. So, no. Uh, I think once you press save on a document, that's an official record or document. Um, and it can be pulled under FOIA if it's not, you know, met under certain other things. So, uh, now that doesn't mean that a contractor or a sec, like if you're part of a government agency and you press save on a document, that is, it's a FOIA document, right? Unless, because uh, they, they should be able to go back and pull versions of it or whatever the case is. Um, if not, like, but if you're, you know, John Q. Public Consulting Firm and you send something, your internal process is no, but the second you send it to the government, that's a FOIA document for the government. So that's kind of where I, I fell out on that one. Uh, Salinas versus United States Railroad Retirement Board. Salinas y los Dinas. Let's go with the issue at hand, whether under Section 5 of the Railroad Unemployment Insurance Act and Section 8 of the Railroad Retirement Act, the Railroad Retirement Board denial of request to reopen a prior benefits termination is final decision uh, subject to judicial 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 review. Judicial. Uh, yes. So the the court can review it. You just can't double dip, right? So um, that's the whole weird thing. Uh, one thing that kind of has to be worked out is the um, if they can drag you into administrative courts um, like. That should not be able to be done. If you go through the court system, like a district court or a circuit court, and that's there's a final law or final review, then the administrative board should not be able to pull you into their administrative court, like Department of Labor, and say, hey, blah. Like, judicial ruling is final. Uh, administrative ruling is not. Administrative ruling sh should always be under review of, um, or should always, not always, but more often than not, should be, uh, be able to be judicially reviewed. Uh, Jones versus Mississippi. This one's got to be fun. I can already tell. That's <laughs> a good old boys. Uh, whether the Eighth Amendment requires sentencing authority to make finding that his juvenile is permanently incorrigible before imposing a sentence of life without parole. Nope. Fuck him. Um, 
<laughs> you know Mississippi's being, you know Mississippi be charging those miners uh, and getting them to do life in prison. I don't know the facts of the case, but uh, I don't think that you have to you prove that. Whatever the state law is, just move out of the state. If they're going to give you life for a fucking jaywalking ticket, um, good luck. So uh, Borden versus United States. Ba -ba -ba, ba -da -ba. Come on, Borden. Borden used to be a milk thing. Does the use of force clause in the Armed Career Criminal Act uh, encompass crimes with a mens rea, which mens rea means corrupted mind of mere recklessness? Uh, I think not. Let's go into the case. Charles Borden Jr. pleaded guilty to possessing a firearm as a felon. The District Court for the Eastern District of Tennessee, relying on the Sixth Circuit Court, uh, sentenced Borden to nine years and seven months. Oh, yeah, they tried to go back and, and charge him again. No, they can't do this. Uh, um, and under seven months for imprisonment under the ACCA, which is Armed Career Criminal Act, Borden objected to his sentence during the District Court's application of Verweebe in the case violated due process protections on appeal. The Sixth Circuit affirmed the District Court's ruling Borden petition to the Supreme Court. So what I picked up from this case is that the government wants to go back. If they want to come back and charge you again, it only has to work out in your favor. It can't work out against you. So if there's a... Uh, what's the word? Whatever the reachback clause is, they, they sent, there sent, tends to be an argument every every year about this one where they can where they, they whether they can come back and get you so if you if you initially go to court you do something bad and they give you 10 years and then the law has changed and they come back and try to charge you again and give you 25 based on the law no it, it only works out in your favor so once you've been charged if there's a law that um if there are laws that reduces your sentence then you can go back and say hey i would like my sentence reduced based on this new law blah but if the state comes and says hey we want to extend this guy's uh sentence based on this law no uh, that's pretty much where I lined up on that one. Uh, Fulton County versus the city of Philadelphia. This was the big one. Um, this was the, uh, so basically a Catholic child care center or, or persons, uh, the Philadelphia was attempting to make them or compel their speech to continue their contract. The government should not have that power. Uh, this was a freedom association, free exercise, and uh, uh, equal opportunity uh, protection, like all three of them. It's like a, essentially a triangle. Um, let's go with the question. Uh, oh no, here's the issue. Whether free exercise plaintiffs can only succeed in proving a particular type of discrimination claim, namely that the government would allow the same conduct by someone who held different religious views as two circuits have held, or whether courts must consider other evidence that law is not neutral and generally applicable as six circuits have held. Uh, and then whether a government violates the First Amendment by conditioning a religious agency's ability to participate in the foster care system on taking actions and making statements that directly contradict the agency's religious beliefs. I would say yes, and I would say no, they can't create. Uh, so government cannot compel you via a contract. If you're not a government employee, which the Catholic Union, and the, the fucked up thing about this case was that the, the Catholic Union what they would do is if a same-sex couple or a you know couple that they whatever disagreed with came into their office and said, hey, we want placement, they would just send them to a different agency. They never denied them placement. Nobody, so nobody was harmed. But somebody, somehow this got into the system and they started pushing it, much like the, the bake, the gay baker cake uh, shop uh, case. So there's, there's equal protection, there's free exercise, and there's freedom of association. Government does not have freedom of association, right? The government cannot 
has to put a contract out there, and then if you know the Satanist club of Judicial Watch, you know our Mary, Mother Mary sisters wins the contract, then that's the people that are going to exercise the contract. Um, the government cannot c compel speech, so and that's what they're attempting to, to do here. So they were they're basically threatening uh, freedom of association. We're not going to associate with you if you don't comply. They were threatening uh, restriction of free exercise, which is you're not allowed to. No law shall be written to uh, compel you to do whatever the fuck with the religion. How scholarly of me. And then uh, equal protection, right? So they were they were telling these people, they were telling the Catholics to, to behave a certain way, but they weren't moving that across the board, right? So they weren't saying uh, they're doing that. And, and what interest does the government have in compelling you to talk a certain way? Well, I mean, whatever. Um, so... Yeah, they need to burn Philadelphia to the ground. BLM is doing that quite nicely, so great. So free speech, free speech, free speech. So the government of Philadelphia and the government were completely wrong. Uh, Niz Chavez versus Barr. Uh, we only have three more cases, and the last one is the most interesting. So, uh, Or the second most interesting. Fulton versus California was the top two interesting in the November-October case. Uh, the issue of this one is whether the government must provide the time and place of deportation hearings and a single notice to appear. Uh, yeah, so uh, they should. It should be in one document, not two. So, yeah, that was uh, that was easy. Uh, and then Brownback versus King. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. Whether the final judgment. Uh, in favor of the United States, an action brought under Section Blah on the ground that a private person would not be liable. This was the, the, the double charge thing. So um, somebody, either Brownback or King, attempted to sue, just like in the government, like qualified immunity issue. They tried to sue the agency. They lost in the agency. They, they lost the agency uh, uh, court case. The the court decision was, this judgment is final, blah, 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 and then he attempted to go back and sue the individual that conducted or did the harm. So, no, the, the agency would be responsible for holding that person or individual accountable um, in the performance of their duties. And then the last one was California versus Texas. This was the Affordable Care Act uh, case. Essentially, in 2012, the Supreme Court made a horrible decision and said that the Affordable Care Act tax was a penalty, or a penalty was a tax, right? So if you didn't buy the health care, you were given a fine, quote-unquote. And Roberts' Roberts's opinion in 2012 said, that's not a fine, that's a uh, tax. And if it was a fine or a penalty, it would be, you know, against the, you know, be un unconstitutional. But since it's a tax, you're good to go. Um, Eight years later, or what was it, six years later, the Congress strikes down the, or doesn't strike it down, but they changed the you know, $1,000 to $0. And in 2012, they had argued that the, the fine or the penalty uh, was, or the tax, quote-unquote, was uh, you know, instrumental to the application of the law, and they couldn't, they couldn't do the law properly, and they couldn't run it, and blah, 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 blah. So this came back to bite them in the ass because in uh, 2020, Texas challenged that since the, since the tax had been removed to zero, that created a harm for them because they still have administration. Uh, they still have to comply with certain federal statutes, but they're not being compensated for it at all. Like, they may be, there's no direct, or they can't prove direct compensation from the law. Uh, they may be getting paid by the government federal dollars to comply with the law, but uh, there's, 
the federal government is getting complied. So Texas has an interest because, you know, your federal, which they do, because your federal taxes might go up um, if the federal government is overspending, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars of their budget, and they have rules on the books that say, hey, fucking here's this super important thing, and you shall pay zero. So the, the argument was, hey, is it unconstitutional? Because, or is the entire law unconstitutional because you guys six years ago or eight years ago said that this tax, quote-unquote, was instrumental to the performance of the execution of the law, and now it's zero. So it's there, and then what stops them from bringing the tax back up to a 1000 Nothing, right? Um, which Biden will probably do. Huh? Uh, whether the individual and state plaintiffs in the case have established an Article Three standing to challenge, I thought that they did. Uh, whether reducing the amount specified to zero rendered the minimum coverage provisional unconstitutional, I would say, yeah, it's toothless, so it should be struck down because all they all they can do is come back and change it to one dollar, or they would just change it down to one dollar and then it would be unconstitutional. So, or it wouldn't be toothless. So, essentially, that's a that's a dumb question because they were uh, three of the justices, and you could guess the three where. Uh, uh, basically saying it's a tax, it's a tax. I didn't accept that premise. It's a penalty or fine. We should never been in this case before. You guys did a fucking horrible job in 2012 arguing this certain way, so fucking strike it down. Like, under no circumstance, it's not a right. Like, health care is not a right. You have a right to life. You don't have a right to somebody else's service. So it's unconstitutional because you can't force— like, if you want a tax for Medicare Medicaid, everybody has to pay that tax. So that that's a, that's a tax. Great. But not a fine that if you— it's basically coercing a behavior because if you either buy this insurance, you buy this government-mandated thing, right? So it would be the same as saying, hey, we have these apples. And if you don't buy these apples, we're gonna, you're going to charge you $10 or your tax is going to be $10 higher. But if you buy these apples from the government, then you don't get the tax or you don't get the fine or the penalty. Doesn't, it's not a tax, right? Everybody gets the tax. Scrap that. We're going to do F1 Formula Wrestling. If you have not seen uh, F1 Drive to Survive on Netflix, I highly recommend that you watch both those seasons. You can cut through them pretty quickly. Uh, if, you, if you're if you indifferent or if you like Formula One or if you don't even care about Formula One, you will like Formula One after uh, viewing those two uh, episodes. So uh, recommended. Uh, they're racing in Bahrain this week. Uh, Hamilton, the seven-time champion, is not going to be racing. So George Russell is going to be sitting in his car, and apparently he's won the practice sessions on Friday and Saturday, or today is qualifying, uh, so they'll do that. Uh, we'll, I'm interested in seeing how that's, that's going to go. Uh, to the NFL, uh, Seahawks lead the NFC West uh, at 8-3. and three. The Rams follow at 7-4, and 6-5 for the Cardinals, and 5-6 and six for the Niners. In the South, the Saints have it at 9-2, two-game lead over the Bucks at 7-5. and five. Falcons and Panthers are irrelevant at 4-7 and 4-8, and and respectively. In NFC East, Giants at 4-7 run the division. 
All other teams have a shot at being in the playoffs with their marginal records. Washington Redskins at four and seven. Oh my God! Uh, Eagles three seven and one, and then the Cowboys at three and eight. Uh, NFC North: The Packers at eight and three uh, have a three-game lead over the Vikings, five and six, and the Bears at the same record. Lions at four and seven in the AFC. The Bills eight and three hold a game lead over the Dolphins at seven and four. Pats at five and six trying to stay in, and the Jets have yet to find a win. At 0-11, Titans 8-3, game over the Colts at 7-4. Texans uh, inverse record at 4-7, and, and the Jags have one win on the season, 1-10. In the North, Steelers undefeated at 11-0, Browns three games back, Ravens at 6-5, and, and the Bengals 2-8-1. Uh, in the West, the Chiefs 10-1, Raiders 6-5, Broncos 4-7, Chargers 3-6. Seven teams are getting in. So it looks like the Steelers would have the one uh, win, and then obviously the Chiefs would play somebody in the seventh seed. Let's look at the playoff picture. They actually have it right there. So I'm not complete, complete dummy. Come on. Load up, buddy. Uh, Steelers have the one seed. Chiefs, Titans, and Bills would have the home games um, uh, for the two threes and fours. Browns would travel to Buffalo. Dolphins would go to Tennessee, and then the Colts would go to Kansas City um, for that one. Uh, Raiders are a game back, as as are the Ravens. Uh, those are the eight and nine people that still have a chance uh, to make the playoffs. Not so much uh, the Patriots at five and six. They've got a kind of a long shot, but there are. Eh, I mean, there's there's still some there's still some way to go. Still got about five games, is it right? Uh, Saints hold the one seed uh, by a game over the Packers, much like in the AFC, so they had the bye week. Uh, Packers, Seahawks, and Giants would have home games. Um, Giants would host the Rams. <laughs> Giants at 4-7 and seven would host the Rams at 7-4. and It would be a shitty travel day for them. Uh, Bucks would travel to Seattle, and then the Cardinals would head up to uh, Green Bay uh, and play them. Let's see, the Vikings are at 5-6, and six, just a game back, as are the Bears and the Niners. Um, those are your 8, 9, and 10 seeds uh, for the NFL. Tons of time to play. Uh, last week of good old fantasy football, uh, I am in the playoffs in every single uh, league. I have a 6-6 six and six, uh, team that's in 5th, uh, can't miss the playoffs. I can be the 5 or the 6 seed. Um See another one. I am at eight and four, but I have no business being there as my points for is under seventeen hundred, and number two team has a twenty two hundred points for, and then the number one team has a two thousand plus points for. So I don't know how I'm eight and four, but I'll be stuck there. Depending, I could be, I could be in the two seed if both of them lose, uh, and I win. But it looks like I will be stuck in you know playing uh, two teams that are better than me. As far as points four is concerned, I literally have no business being in the four seed in that league. And then uh, in another, I am seven and five. Uh, I think I'll be pretty much stuck there, and I'm probably one of the more top teams in this one. So uh, the best I can do is the two seed if that team loses, and I end up winning and scoring more points than a couple people. So uh, I am going to make the playoffs in my league. Um, I am seven and five. Uh, the division leaders eight and four. If they lose and I win, I should be able to pass them. And then in a work league, I am ten and two. Uh, 
number one in the division, have no business being there, but it is what it is. So going to make the playoffs in all six of my fantasy football uh, leagues. Uh, I have a two-game lead over um, the other teams. So I'm 10-2, 8-4, 8-4, 7-5. and Only four teams make the playoffs. So there you go. Uh, that is your sport rapport, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. On to the next segment or maybe transitioning out. I don't know. I'm doing editing later after this. So enjoy. Do test this. Test, 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 test. Yes. Uh, okay. Get, get away from the microphone. You see how it gets all big? You're going to blow out the microphone. So you don't need to get super close to it. Or maybe you do. I don't know. But this microphone's gotten a lot better. So go ahead and talk in it. Go. Uh, I can write lots of words. Good. Keep uh, writing. Uh, I do homeschool a lot. Not a lot. You're going yeah. to school now. Um, when is winter break, Dad? Later. Two weeks. Two weeks? Yep. Okay, when is Christmas? 25 December. What do you want for Christmas? Um, a giant Mickey Mouse. Okay, what else? An electric car. What else? Um, a doll. What else? Uh, Have you been a good girl this Christmas? I don't know. Do you, are you on Santa's good list or Santa's naughty list? I don't know. How do you not know? Only you, should, you should be 100% sure okay. which of the lists that you're on. I already know what list I'm on. Which, which list are you on? You're on the naughty list? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think. The sand. Why are you, Why do you think you're on the naughty list? Because I'd be bad most of the time. You've been bad most of the time? Yeah, with you. <laughs> That's awesome. Silly. Uh, so do kids on the naughty list get presents or not? Um, not, um, kids on the naughty list get coal. Yeah, and poopies in their stockings, right? Yeah. So are you expecting dolls? Radio toys and board games and stuff? Yeah. Or are you expecting coal? This way. So you think you should get all the presents? Mm -hmm. But you've been naughty. Yeah. Uh, mm. Okay, say goodbye. No, 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 no. Say Wait, I'm not done yet. The test is over. Wait, no. It's still going. Yeah, but I can uh, turn it off. Actually, actually, actually. Um, I like your book, Dad. Okay, I love you. I love you, too. Bye-bye. Wait, you have a star here? Yes, goodbye. Why do you have a star there? So I can keep records. Oh. Hmm. Who's going to win the election? Oh, Biden. No, I think Trump. You think Trump? Yeah. Why Trump. do you think Trump? Because Trump's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> How is Trump your favorite? Because uh, he is president of the United States for until, until when? Until November. No, until January 20th. Yeah. And then who gets elected? Biden.
Why? Do you like Biden? Um, no. Why don't you like Biden? Because he's a hippie Democrat, right? Yeah! He's a hippie Democrat. Are hippie Democrats cool or not cool? Why are they not cool? Because hippie Democrats um, don't do good stuff. Well, they, they might do good stuff. Yeah, but they, they try might. to take they try to take things from you. Yeah. Hippie Democrats are like thieves. They're like robbers. <laughs> Taxation is what? Taxation is taxing. Taxation is what? Theft. I don't know. Theft, yeah. Okay. All right. I love you. Good. I love you too. Okay. Uh, Bye-bye. Um, wait, 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 wait. It's been Halloween. It's cool. Halloween was cool. And I'm excited that Christmas is coming up. Uh, so, I can, so where we're doing the podcast, um, we actually can see the, the backyard a little bit, because, like, the window, um, with the griping near the backyard. Okay, bye guys. Bye. Live up on the corner I thought I'd run into a friend of mine Ended up but he was just a stranger I said hello as he passed me by But then he turned and put a gun in my head He said my friend I'm gonna rob you blind Said you must be down on your luck I'm out of money and I'm all out of time He pulled the trigger and I fell to my knees My spirit left and then my body was cold I'm looking down upon the lights of the city I feel alive but I'm getting on Down the side of the road Ain't no more sleeping on the edge of France Ain't no more fear for some, someone I don't know Cause there ain't nobody hear me Nobody's around Hallelujah I'm coming home Hallelujah He's dead and gone
So tell me now if your singing can bring me Another day with my feet on the ground I miss living and living misses me I miss it so much that I'm holding it down For all the things that I never could change For all the reasons that I never understood and why I feel alone, baby, I'm dead and gone, baby There's something wrong, cause you know I still feel alive My train is rolling down the line And I'm waiting till they bring me the dream Of holding you up in my eyes Oh, feel my love, honey, from up above, honey Oh, don't give up on me, cause I'm coming down I'm not a one-nighter, I'm not a flatliner I'm everything in between the harmony singing life I thought I'd run into a friend of mine 